This upcoming concert season will be all about the boots, and Tecovis is your stop for the best in Western style. Tecovis has seasonal and limited edition offerings this spring and summer, including men's and women's boots, apparel, hats, bags, and more. All Tecovis boots are made by hand in a time-honored tradition with timeless styles that are always on trend. And Tecovis has first wear comfort with little to no break-in period. It's hard to find this level of comfort paired with this level of style. Stop by your local Tecova store, have a complimentary drink or two, that's WCB style, and shop new styles. The smell of fresh leather and friendly staff are at your service. Many stores even have leather custom branding to make your boots truly personalized. And with regular live music and events, there's no in-store experience like it. If you can't make it into a store, just visit tecovas.com. That's T-E-C-O-V-A-S.com. They offer free shipping on all boots, as well as free returns and exchanges, and ship right to your door. Go to tecovas.com and find your new favorite pair of boots today. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. Welcome to the Casting Across Fly Fishing Podcast. I'm Matthew of castingacross.com, where I explore the quarry and culture of fly fishing. If you're listening to this in real time, if you're getting this right when it comes out in mid-April of 2023, spring has sprung. It is a wonderful time of year. Now, you might need some Claritin or some Flonase or whatever to get through it, but it is a wonderful time of year. Short sleeves, shorts, and most importantly, time out on the water chasing fish. It is a amazing time of year when it is almost as if our fly boxes and our fly rods bloom uh, with as much vigor and joy as any flowering plant. Now, as always, you might say, I fish all through the winter. I, there's never an off season. I get that. But by and large, for many folks, there is something special about spring, and you cannot be so hardened and cold to say that you don't appreciate the activity and the liveliness of a fish in the springtime, the uh, promulgation of bugs that we see in the springtime as they hatch and as they replicate, and furthermore, the plants and the warm air. If you like it really cold, then awesome. There are places in the world for you. They are Alaska, and they are Kamchatka, and things like that, which, hey, those are fine too. Anyway, all that to say, uh, it's springtime, and it means it is time to get outside and fish. And there's one thing I wanted to talk to very, very uh, specifically today in regards to that, um, because one of the things that I think a lot of folks uh, take an opportunity to do come springtime is to introduce people to fishing, uh, introduce people to being outside. Now, this might be for you. You might be the one who you are introducing to fishing. Uh, so that that is to say, you're a beginner, you are interested, you are a very much a neophyte and that you have only dabbled here and there. It might have been that you kind of got interested in fishing at the very tail end of last season. And if you've spent you know, the cold weather months, November through March, uh, you know, flipping through catalogs and watching online videos. And now you're really decided to dive into it. 
Uh, it might be that you have somebody in your life, a neighbor or a coworker or a friend who you are trying to get into fishing, but you really want some ways to kind of get them, uh, you know, interested and involved. And most importantly, in my humble opinion, is if you have a child in your life, you have a son, you have a daughter, you have a neighbor, you have a grandson, you have uh, somebody who you are, are you know, just close to that you are trying to get involved in fishing. What are the ways to think about this? What are the ways to go through this? Now, I've mentioned bits and pieces of this concept in previous podcasts and certainly online, but I really wanted to, to drill in on that very first step that you ought to take when you are outside. And that is to be outside, get outside and, and, and appreciate and take times to point out what is going on around you. Now, this is most particularly uh, applicable to children. Uh, you're not going to take your neighbor outside. Hey, let's go find some bugs. You know, let's go look for salamanders. But this is this is the gateway for children into the outdoors. Exploration. Exploration trumps proficiency 99 out of 100 times. If your child wants to look for bugs under rocks and not learn a perfect 10 and 2 fly cast, then by all means, look for bugs under rocks. Everyone will be much happier if you are down getting muddy and trying to find bugs than if people are getting frustrated from, from a fly cast not working out and think people getting hung up in trees. Being outside is the key. If you invest in a child for them to enjoy the outdoors, then that will pay off dividends when you want a fishing partner. That's the, the honest truth. And I can speak to that from experience of times when I push too hard in one direction and times when I have succeeded often at the behest and encouragement of my wife. But if you get them enjoying the outdoors, get them to enjoy exploration, then they will see that the way that you enjoy the outdoors and the way that you engage in exploration is something that is appealing to them because there is a natural inclination for them to look up to and emulate what you do. So if you lay that foundational baseline appreciation for exploration in the outdoors, then there is a natural pathway for them being your fishing buddy or your hunting partner or your hiking pal in the future. And so that's what I would say is the most important thing. And it doesn't need to be super scientific. You don't have to find bugs and then give them the Latin names. But if you do, you never know. Different kids find different things interesting. Different kids latch on to different things. Um, they might enjoy the bugs and then the fly tying of the bugs more than they enjoy the fishing with the bugs that they tied uh, that they were trying to replicate the insects that they found. That might be, again, their pathway into it. So find those opportunities for exploration, both when you're outdoors and when you're back inside. Uh, read books about about fish. Read books about fishing. Uh, Trout Come from Trees is a good one. Um, there's there's a, just a number of other good books that explore the outdoors and the interaction that you can have with them as you are fishing. Um, Down by the River is another great one, which is more story-based, but it really has some good, solid uh, fishing and exploration aspects to it. So these are ways for you to take that very first step, and don't discount this one. Don't. Don't overlook it. Don't think that you need to get them on a big fish to get them hooked, uh, as it were. So that is step one. Um, and again, that is primarily uh, aimed towards children. You know, don't take your, you know, if you're 45 and your brother's 43, don't take them out and be like, hey, let's go look under rocks for bugs. You could do that. They might think you're absolutely crazy. Uh, but uh, I'll let you use your discernment on that one. That's the first thing. The second thing is, all right, 
Here it is. Catch fish. Catch fish. Um, someone might say, whether it be a child or whether it be an adult, say, I really want to catch fish on a fly rod. And that's awesome. Then you, you have a little bit of a, of a learning curve to, to deal with. But if you want somebody to get into fishing, there is nothing wrong with saying, hey, let's catch a fish however we can. So that means get out a spin casting rod, you know, with a little push button dealies, maybe a Mickey Mouse number. Um, get out a spinning rod, use bait, get people onto fish, particularly if you live in an area where the fly fishing might not come easy, where there, you know, a great example is I can think of a couple ponds around me. It's just not a, a easy place to fish with a fly rod. There is a lot of overhanging cover uh, on the stream bank, and there's a lot of weeds in the water. It can be done, but it's not simple. It can be done a little bit easier if you have watercraft, but doing it from the bank, it's just not a great, great way to introduce somebody into fly fishing. There's fish there, um, and, but if you force it, it's going to lead to much more frustration than you would like. So get them onto fish, uh, particularly for children, but also for adults. If you have a spinning rod, go out, try to find a way where they can get into it and say, all right, you know, we've, 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 we've satisfied that uh that thirst we've we've scratched that itch let's take it to the next level and it might not need to be right away um you know there's no virtue in only fly fishing all the time there's there's you don't get any credit for that um you know sometimes we have this false dichotomy where we say oh conservation and catch and release and that ethic is found in fly fishing and fly fishing alone and that's just simply not true um, it all has to do with the person uh, holding the rod and the person interacting with the fish. So don't be afraid to mix it up. Uh, my kids all the time tell me how much they enjoy, um, you know, using a spinning rod uh, and and how simple it is. And I think, you know what, that's awesome. The As they desire to use a fly rod, then we use a fly rod. Uh, if we go somewhere where we have to use it, or I think it is certainly advantageous for them to use it, then that's what I'll put in their hands. But when we go out on the canoe, when we go out on a hike, then they are going to be using whatever makes the most sense and whatever they want to use. So that's the, the second thing. First thing is exploration, again, mostly for, for the kids. I guess, let me let me circle back around. What is exploration for an adult in your life? An exploration for somebody you're trying to get into. It's sending them YouTube videos. It's um, it's going on hikes and and pointing out where you're going to fish as you are going to fish. So it's integrating that into your time on the water. It's it's getting them interested in the bigger picture and seeing those little things that you are maybe noticing by nature as you've been fishing for five years, ten years, twenty years, your whole life. Uh, pointing those things out to them, and in in doing so. So in the same way that you might enjoy turning over a rock with your child and experiencing something that you haven't experienced since you were a kid, pointing out simple things that might have to do with reading the water, showing how a plunge pool interacts with the pool that's beneath it, showing how um, the, the, the water coming off of rocks creates different currents, and trying to articulate those things to somebody who can understand and grasp those concepts, it, it's going to create in you a sense of exploration and joy and wonder as you see all these things. So I guess that would be the correlation way to introduce and capitalize on the exploration aspect of fly fishing and being outdoors with someone who is older who's not a child. So all right, anyway, I'll have to say, uh, first thing we touched on is exploration and adventure. Uh, the second thing is just put people on fish, understand what we're going for here. Because um, a lot of people, 
you know, that, that fly fish, they started with conventional gear. And after maybe a season or five seasons, then they, they kind of got a grasp of what they're doing, what they're looking for, what's happening in the water. It, you have a little bit of a, of an easier access to the fish and to your lure, uh, if you're using conventional gear, and then you can then apply those skills, that awareness, what you've done to the fly rod and some of the, the challenges, but also some of the, the, the benefits that come with it. So, uh, doing that even with one or two or three trips or a season worth of trips with somebody, uh, is, is a great way to get them so that they are understanding what they are doing in a little bit easier way. That's the second thing. Third thing is make sure they're using the right gear. Make sure they're using the right gear. And this has to do with rod. This has to do with leader and leader construction. And this has to do with fly. So perfect example. If you are fishing with a kid, I like putting them on an eight foot four weight. You might say, well, what about where I fish? I don't care where you fish. An eight foot four weight is a great introduction rod for kids. I find that the traditional like nine foot five weight is it'll work. Uh, I feel like you lose that foot and you you lighten everything up all the way from the the uh, the weight of the line, even just to the, the the heaviness of the rod that shrinks things down enough where I, I feel like a five and a six year old can even use an eight foot four weight with relative ease. You go lighter than that. Now, all of a sudden you are having to work a lot harder. Um, I mean, are there seven foot three weights that do a great job that you can cast a mile? Absolutely. I find the sweet spot to be that eight foot four weight where even a smaller built child is able to grab that and is able to make that rod work for him or her as he or she casts. Um, you, you can you can certainly use a shorter rod and you have to, to, you know, work a little bit harder because the mechanics of getting a good cast and allowing that rod to work for you and get that line to build up the line speed to make the cast that you want it to make is going to be more work on a shorter rod. You might cast a six and a half foot rod perfectly, and that's awesome. But if you've been fly fishing for a long time, or if you were just a, a larger person um, as an adult, then that's going to be something that comes more naturally to you. You want that rod to be able to work for that smaller person um, in a child. So I like an eight foot four weight, whether I'm fishing for trout, whether I'm fishing for bass, um, you know, short of salt water, I like that rod for my kids. And that's more often than not what I put in the hands of my kids when we are fishing. I have a couple of eight foot four weights that are my kid rods. Some set up for right hand retrieve, some set up for left hand retrieve because I've got kids of both natures in my, in my household. So eight and a half foot four weight, and then a very simple leader. I like to use knotless tapered leaders for, for simple fishing applications. I think I've talked about recently how I like to use knotless tapered leaders for a lot of applications as the basis for my leader systems. For kids, I like to use them as much as possible with as very few alterations as I can pull off. And the reason for that is this, uh, kids will create knots, uh, new anglers will create knots. So this is something that I would put in both categories. Um, I would say an eight foot four weight is a great thing for a starter rod for an adult, nine foot five weight, you know, just don't get cute. Don't use that 10 foot seven weight. Don't use a two handed rod. Don't use the, the micro rod or something that's designed for fishing streamers or a urine. Just, just make it simple. If they want to graduate to that next thing, 
awesome. But the principles that you build casting that nine foot five weight, that eight foot four weight, whatever it might be, are going to be able to transition and translate into more complicated and, and more derivative aspects of, of fly fishing. So uh, a knotless tapered leader, back to that, uh, the benefit of that is that you don't have those hinge points and you don't have places that your leader is going to get hung up on. So here's what I mean by that. I think we all have come to that awful realization that we have a bird's nest at the end of our line. We've got some sort of tangle. What is often the points in that system, that mess that has been created, that the most difficult and the most frustrating to to figure out? It is where you have that blood knot, is where you have that surgeon's loop. It is where you have that first fly where things are now, there's a knot that's kind of cinched up around one of those points. And then there's the, the the greater knot that's kind of all around that. So you have like your nucleus and then you have everything orbiting around it. The, the fewer components that you have, the better. So a knotless tapered leader eliminates those points. It certainly doesn't eliminate uh, tangles, but because there's no other points along that, that, that leader from where your fly line attaches to your leader down to your fly, you're mitigating the places where a uh, tailing loop turns into a knot. You're mitigating the places where a poor cast, where it piles on itself, can get hung up. It's not eliminating it, it's simply mitigating it. So that would be a, a piece of, of advice I'd have for you. Now, that being said, if they get knots and they uh, get, they have to be snipped off, if they get, uh, they go through a bunch of flies, if they get hung up, then by all means, use a simple, tight little surgeon's loop or a blood knot to put on a new piece of tippet. But we're, we're not saying it's the worst thing in the world. I'm just saying it eliminates um, those points if you, if you don't have them on there and having few of them, it mitigates it. So that would be my suggestion for that. Um, and then, like I said, keep it simple. Um, you know, no strike indicators if, if unnecessary, uh, no weight, if not necessary, uh, not multiple flies, if necessary, if not necessary, don't add components and pieces to it. Now they may very well show that they are proficient in casting very, very quickly. And I've had that before with somebody who just is naturally, whether it be athletic or whether they just have good motor skills or whether they understand the mechanics of it very, very quickly, you can say, okay, let's throw a strike indicator. Let's throw some weight on there. Let's throw a second fly on there because it's actually going to put you in a better situation if you have that as part of your presentation, then by all means do that. But you can even make good choices with your flies. So with kids, this is what I would say. Then I would say the same thing was true for adults. You know, you have your eight foot four weight, you have your knotless tapered leader. And at the end of that, put on a woolly bugger with a small bead head tied on a jig hook. So make sure it's the right size. Don't throw on a size two if they're casting an eight foot four weight. Have some size 10 and 12 woolly buggers. Now, why is that? A woolly bugger is a fly that passively fishes. So you don't need to retrieve it for it to look delicious to fish in the water. It is going to look like a dying bait fish. It's going to look like a large macroinvertebrate. It is going to look like who knows what to those fish, but they are going to eat it. They always have, and they always will. And so your little angler, whether they be uh, a young angler from an age perspective or young angler from experience perspective, is going to get fish that are interested in that fly simply by the fact that it's in the water. If they are messing with trying to figure out which hand is their line hand and which hand is their rod hand, that fly, as it's drifting, is still going to be attracting fish. If they are really bad at mending, because we're all not great at mending, but if you're a new angler, you're really not great at mending. 
if they are not great at determining when drag is happening, then that fly is still going to be passively attracting fish because of the marabou, because of the hackle, and also because it is tied on a jig hook and that hook is facing upwards, you are mitigating, again, not eliminating, you're mitigating and reducing the chances of that thing getting hung up on junk on the bottom of the stream. So it's going to be bouncing along as opposed to wedging itself on the stream bottom more often than not. So something like that is a great way to fish. Now, there's other great ways to fish too, particularly if people have this perspective of what fly fishing is in their minds. And that is, you know, a fish coming up and rising to my fly. So throw on a big, chunky attractor dry. Early in the spring, you're not going to have the options of using terrestrials as much. I mean, you can certainly use them and fish are going to bite them. But if you can all fish hoppers and beetles and crickets. Now, a beetle isn't super sexy when you think of like traditional fly fishing, but a foam beetle is going to float. They're not going to worry about adding floatant. It is going to be attractive and it is also going to be easy to see. And so that's a, a great topwater pattern, a, a dry fly uh, imitation uh, when, when you are into the summer months. In the springtime, you're not going to have as many of those options, but you know, by all means, throw on a big bushy attractor dry and see what happens if they come to a white wolf or a royal coachman or the pinnacle of all attractor flies, the yellow humpy. Um, so, so those would be my two ways to go. Don't get into some complicated two or three fly nymph ring. Yes, that will catch a lot of fish, but is that necessarily the easiest thing for someone to pick up? So those are my, my kind of three main pieces of advice. If you are getting someone into fishing, I've given some hints for and tips for if they are a child and if they are an adult, and hopefully you can see the, the places where there is crossover because fly fishing in a lot of respects is an equalizer. Uh, it's something that young people can do. It's something that older people can do. It's something that athletic people can do. It's some people that are a little less athletic can do because there is, is as much about the mental game and the finesse as there is about the power and the motor skills that are involved. And so as long as you can point that out to people, then you can really get anyone who wants to be outdoors and wants to engage in what you are doing doing what you're doing. Um, just think about it in those three terms, set themselves, set them up for success, and also continue to communicate the, uh, the ethos of fly fishing that it's not necessarily about results. Results are great. We're, we're certainly looking for results. But if you tend take time to explore, then you can enjoy and appreciate creation on its own. If you um, take time to get into fish, regardless of what they are, and again, you know, we talked about trout, but a little bass bug, it, you're going to have more fun with a little bass bug uh, than, you, than you will with, with a dry fly under most circumstances. You know, they, they sell those micro poppers that get down to like size like 8, 10. Uh, those are phenomenal for that 8 foot 4 weight. Then that's, they'll be able to cast that great, be able to see it, be able to see it happen. And bluegill are always, for anybody in any situation, a great, uh, great way to spend an afternoon. So that's the second thing. Make sure that you're getting them into fish. And thirdly, make sure you're using the right gear. Don't overcomplicate the rod, reel, line, fly, leader, um, and make sure that it's something that is is going to be user friendly for them as they are being introduced to what is on the water. If you have any other things that you want to add, any feedback to this, let me know. Matthew at castingacross.com. If you have a story about how you got somebody into it, or maybe how you did something silly and you got somebody out of it because of your bad decisions and your bad coaching, then let me know. This week on castingacross.com, the very first article is called The Day After. The Day After. And this is a Easter post. Uh, I, as you know, I am a pastor. I talked about this last week at the end of my, my podcast. 
Um, but uh, I had a very busy uh, weekend, Friday, Saturday, Sunday, uh, and into Monday were good. And Monday was a nice, relaxing day for me. And so I simply talked about what that Monday must have been like 2,000 years ago uh, for, for those very first uh, folks that were witness to the resurrection of Christ. So that was uh, Monday's post day after. And again, like I mentioned last week, you have questions about this. You wonder why I make this such a big deal in my life. It's certainly not a, a point of the podcast, but I don't hide it. Uh, let me know. Matthew at castingcross.com. Love to have that conversation with you. Uh, Wednesday's article was called Best of Show According to You. So something that's really cool is that the fly fishing show, the fly fishing show, the uh, the one that makes the stops in January, February, and March around the country, they put out a a program called the Consumer Choice Award. They did this with a couple of other uh, fly fishing entities. And really all it is, is the stuff that is seen on the show gets voted on. So this, the the exhibitors and the products that are shown off at the show are voted on by people that thought that they were the most intriguing. So again, is it what product performs the best in the field? Absolutely not. And they make no bones about it. But it is what showed off the best. What consumers, not other, other um, uh, exhibitors, not other people in the industry, what consumers were most interested by. And uh, so it's, it's interesting. Does it mean it's the best? Absolutely not. But it is something that gives you an, an, a direction to things to look at. Everyone who went to these shows thought this thing was interesting. Okay, maybe I should look at it as I am shopping for a new reel or a new pair of waders or whatever it is. So check that out. I put a link to every one of the award winners uh, in my post. And so it, it takes you to where you can check those things out. This week's recommendation on casting across is Reddington's new field kits. Reddington's new field kits. So I am a big fan of Reddington products. I use quite a few of them. I've recommended them before. Uh, one of the reasons that I like them is that they are uh, fun. <laughs> They, the, the marketing is fun. The aesthetic is fun. Uh, all that stuff is is a lot of, of fun to look at. I love the ethos of, of Reddington. But uh, they have two new uh, field kits that they have come out with. Uh, one is called the original field kit. And the point of it is to just look like a normal, traditional, uh, kind of the fly rod that you would expect to be introduced to and with. Um, and, and it is a, uh, nine foot five weight. Um, and then there is a nine foot eight weight called the all water kit. So these are called the original, uh, rod kits. There is what's really cool is that they use quality reels, crosswater reel, uh, the real mainstream line and a real leader. Um, they're four piece rods and they're just simple, basic, normal rods and reels. Uh, they retail for $200 for the kits. And uh, they come with Reddington's warranty. Uh, I have nothing but good things to say about every Reddington product I've fished. But this would be a great backup rod for yourself. This would be a great rod and reel kit. If you were you know, a trout angler who wants to put the foot into uh, bass water, uh, but this would also be a great way for you to introduce somebody into the sport, but have everything you need. Um, kit, you know, kits that came in pegs up on hooks on walls at, at uh, big box stores used to be derided for their simplicity. Uh, Reddington and a handful of other companies are doing really good stuff with these. And uh, I actually fish with a saltwater uh, version of, of one of their, their kits, and it has become my go-to uh, cold water uh, saltwater fishing uh, setup. So anyway, check those out. I put a link to the new original field kits from Reddington over at this show's notes over at castingacross.com. 
Thanks for listening to the Casting Across Fly Fishing Podcast. Please subscribe to your favorite podcast app and rate the podcast on iTunes. Then head over to castingacross.com for three posts a week on the people, places, and things that go into the pursuit of fish. Thank you.